I'm looking for similarities in the way troublemakers think. This is Steve St. Clair, co-founder of Trouble Group. Join us as we learn from others who are shaking things up. If you look behind the brands that have lit up the cool side of the fashion industry for the past three decades, you're going to find some troublemakers leading the way. It's really not easy to find that magic formula that makes a brand take off in the fashion industry, but it always involves at least one very strong personality who can lead the company to fame. Herschel Supply Company has that attitude, and they've rocketed to fame. Based in Vancouver, Canada, the company was founded by Lyndon and Jamie Cormack in 2009. They originally built their brand with contemporary renditions of classic backpack shapes, or otherwise known as silhouettes. But now, Herschel's supply has expanded to include luggage, travel accessories, wallets, apparel, and more. Today, Herschel's supply products are sold in 94 countries with exposure in more than 10,000 stores worldwide. They've aimed at the 18 to 35-year-old consumers, and they're meant to evoke a sense of American nostalgia, right down to their retro-looking logo. Slate described Herschel's supply as, quote, a global phenomenon glimpsed wherever hipsters dare to tread, end quote. Brian White is Herschel Supply's new Senior Vice President of Global Sales. Welcome, Brian, and congratulations on the new position. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, you, you nailed it. Herschel's classic styling with modern twists, and I've long admired the Cormac brothers, and working with the brand is, a, is an honor for me. It's a, it's a perfect fit. So, Brian, you've got a, a long list of awesome brands you've been a part of, what you refer to as renegade brands. I'll name a few. I'm sure you know more. Ride Snowboard, Arnett, Hurley Clothing, Globe, and Nixon. And what is it about a brand that defines it as a renegade brand for you? Yeah, no, I've, I've been really fortunate. You know, I've been able to work with great brands. I think, you know, I think sometimes, you know, my job was to represent them, but in a lot of ways, you know, they help kind of define me. You know, my my uh, reputation is really driven by the strong brands that I've worked for. And, and I'd say that the Renegade brand part of it is like, they jumped in and, and led categories, you know, really out of nowhere. You know, they changed the way people thought about the business and all of these brands that built new businesses inside their categories. With Ride Snowboards, really interesting one. They were like an anti-ski brand. You know, so it was loud music. It was everything that wasn't ski at the time, which, which made it really, um, really popular. And ironically, they were purchased by K2 Corp. <laughs> um, you know, it was kind of, kind of a funny story. Yeah. Um, most of the brands that I worked for that were those true renegades were really sought out by the larger brands in the industry. Um, Bob Hurley forever ran a brand called Billabong and oh, wow. led you know, led the surf industry in, in the U.S. And, you know, in the course of a couple months, he flipped from being the Billabong licensee to his namesake brand. So just, just tons of courage and, and really, really fun. And then, and then probably the, the best example of a renegade brand is Nixon. Um, they built a huge watch business before ever selling watches in watch stores. They, didn't, they really didn't have one person that was from the watch business. And they were disrupting the watch business, you know, so it was, so it was a really cool experience. 
So I heard you say several things, courage, disruption. So that's part of what defines a renegade brand to you. It is. It is for sure. I think the, I think the one thing that all of these brands had in common is that they were inspired, you know, and I think their inspiration came from being connected to youth. You know, they, they respected the youth. It wasn't a paycheck for them. All these brands were real. The product was great. And their message was sincere. They weren't talking down to anyone. They were talking with, with their consumer. Great distinctions. I think that's a big part of it. So give me some of your background. Where are you from originally? I know you're in California now. And tell us a little more about you and, and your journey through, uh, through this career of yours. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's now a long story. I always think of myself as young, but I guess the story is a little longer now. I <laughs> was born in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, you know, in, in business, I kind of stumbled out of a marketing degree thinking I was going to be maybe like you, Steve, a fine marketer. Um, but it just didn't, it never really clicked. And, and where I landed um, was on the sales side because you know, I felt like, I felt like um, in 1997, 1999, as I was graduating, it was a real turning point. You know, the business was changing, like brands wanted more direct relationships and they, um, you know, they wanted to set themselves up for the future. And being younger, I was, you know, maybe one of the first people using a laptop to do the job. And, and I was like really addicted to modernizing the business. And I think, I think just the timing was right for me there. But I've always, I think since birth, I've been a salesperson. So it's, um, it's kind of cool. And one of the ultimate expressions of that was when you launched the unlimited sales agency, right? For sure. It's like, you know, I, I humbly say I kind of stumbled into it. I put my head down and worked hard uh, for a few years. And when I picked my head up, I had a real business. So I had to start doing real business things. I, I hired great people. I spent a lot of time on the back end of, of my business to make sure that it was stable. And that's really what the unlimited sales agency was. The agency part was unique because I did both sales and marketing, but I relied heavily on a, a company called NRI, mm. which was you know non-resident importing 3PL. And they, they were the unlock for a lot of brands because brands could be direct with their partners without having like big contracts with distributors. And, and that worked out great for me because I could be the little buddy of, of the owner of NRI, which his name's Pete McKenna. He's a, he's a renegade himself and he's an ambassador of change. And that helped me a lot in unlimited sales. And what specifically did unlimited sales do for their clients? Yeah. So our clients were, were largely California brands that wanted to portray their brands the same way as they would in their home market in these other regions, right? So we did everything from grassroots marketing to sponsoring athletes to um, catering distribution and line segmentation. But the, you know, the way that it kind of all puzzle fit together, we were able to get some of these brands that, that all shared a commonality, but were all different categories. So you know, for eyewear, I felt like we had the strongest brand in the world at the time with Arnett and you know, the push of them being partnered with the Beastie Boys and so many great athletes and, and all of those things made the eyewear piece like a, a real strong part of our business. 
And then in each of the categories, I feel like we had a like brand that was either, you know, the number one brand or, or top three brand that we could legitimately challenge for, for shelf space. So, you know, we were a group of people in minivans really running around um, representing brands that were largely based in California. Very cool business. And that lasted how long? How long did you hold the company? It evolved constantly. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I bought a brownstone in in 2001. And that was that was a big turning point for the business because it became real. And every brand had a separate floor in this downtown uh, brownstone, which which was really helpful. But I ran that business in different forms till 2013. And kind of like my story with Ride Snowboard selling to K2, one of my favorite brands, Nixon, had been sold to a private equity group. And they had asked me to move uh, to California to take some of the work that we were doing in Canada, maybe in a smaller sample size, and bring it out to a larger group. So I ran Nixon um, as VP of sales for the Americas. Brian, this spring, the statistics on fashion companies were truly scary thanks to COVID-19. But now it looks to me like the headlines are starting to look more positive. According to the Census Bureau data, uh, U.S. retail sales rose for the second consecutive month in June. And, but my question for you is, are we out of the woods at this point? You have a closer view on fashion, certainly, than I do. You know, I, 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 I'm optimistic by nature, but I think we're still in a really tricky time. You know, we, we're, you know, in my new role at Herschel, we're really looking at it by geography, you know, and trying not to paint the world all with one brush because I think every market and every segment of the market is moving at different rates. The real challenge in this time for me is, you know, we got to hold on to brand values just because we're in an unprecedented time doesn't mean you throw out your playbook. Because I think the world's going to return. And, you know, I'm confident that certain categories are, are actually really good. Uh, travel isn't one of those <laughs> right, right now. But, right. but I don't think you would change your travel strategy, you know, for the short-term gain. Because, you know, businesses like Herschel, you know, it's a, it's a long play. It's a, it's a business that has been very thoughtful over the last 10 years. And we're not out of the woods yet. But... I think we're doing good things to set up for success. It's, it's, you know, I referenced it on a call just the other day where it's kind of like that friend you have who's using COVID-19 to work out and paint his house and all that kind of stuff. Herschel's that brand that's like working out, modernizing, taking this time right now to make themselves stronger. And that's really liberating. That's, that's been a really fun piece. The timing's bad with COVID, but the timing's really good because we're about to embark on all kinds of new modern systems. We, we launched a program called New Order, which has been really successful. It's a B2B platform that allows you to show the line remote and really service your customers better. We launched Afterpay, which is a payment plan for the direct-to-consumer side of the business. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're doing a lot and I I like the way you said it. I'm, I'm excited to grow this business. So when you walk into a sales leadership role like this one, and you've done it many times, what goes on in your head? What's your process? What are you about to unfold there? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, I think this time is different maybe than the rest of the times in my life. It's, it's been an incremental change up to this point, right? You know, 
you have one position, you, you grow your territory, you know, you have another position, you grow that landscape and you kind of walk up the ladder in a lot of the businesses. I made a really conscious effort about 12 months ago to kind of reset. I feel like the world has changed more in the last 10 years than it has probably in the previous 50 um, for the retail landscape. I dedicated a whole year to like study businesses. I went back to school at a, at a tender age and, and finished a program at McGill University. I did, I did a lot of things to be really thoughtful and then was really lucky to have a few different opportunities. And, and I stared at those different opportunities and, and really looked at three things. One, like, what's the culture? Is the culture designed to, to keep getting better? You know, is there... Is that internal momentum that, that, you know, will allow me to be successful? Because I think people undervalue momentum, you know, try to, try to push a car in park or, or on a, on a steep hill. It's a very difficult job, Mm. but when you have the keys going downhill, you can do, you can do amazing things, you know? And, you know, the biggest thing I look for is like the support because brands like Herschel are thinking about it the way the consumer thinks about it. And I think when you're directly tied with how the consumer thinks, all of those other questions become pretty easy. You know, what's right for the brand? Well, what's right for the consumer? There's a, there's a direct line there. And um, yeah, I'm just really fortunate because when I look at a new brand, if there's strong founders in place and they have that energy and momentum and excitement, it's a really easy decision for me. I heard you say a statement at one point as we were getting to know each other in a first phone call, which is, you've never been afraid to challenge the status quo. Ryan, what makes you the person to challenge the status quo? I think in the beginning, you know, it helped that I was too, too young to know better. You know, I, <laughs> I was working for, <laughs> it's, it's, it's true, you know, I was working for big brands and, and had a fairly big positions before I was able to rent a car. You know, I remember going into, you know, enterprise dealer when, you know, when K2 had set me up with a rental car or ride snowboards at the time. And uh, I wasn't old enough to rent the car, you know? So with that ignorance, you know, I didn't know how it had always been done. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't really tied to the rules of business the way some of the senior leadership was. So it allowed me to kind of like search my brain and, and kind of think about like, how should it be done? And I've, I've always thought about it that way. It's, it's like, I, I don't know that I'm fearless, you know, I'm, I'm a little OCD, but I'm also constantly fighting for the consumer. You know, I, I, can get, I can get really riled up about small things because I'm really passionate that the consumer is getting the best experience possible. And there's, there's tons of examples where people are like, oh, don't worry, it's just Alaska. Don't worry, it's south of the border. Don't worry. And it's like, to me, that's what, that's what makes me fearless. It gets me, it gets me fired up. Great stuff. On our first phone call, Brian, you said you'd been a troublemaker all your life. Why? I don't know. Like Your, your subject matter really appeals to me. You know, I think, I think there's something really positive. I, I, I might have said to you on that same call that I take being called a troublemaker as a as a compliment because I think there's a positive energy that comes from it. And I've never I've never called myself a troublemaker, but I've been called 
a, a troublemaker plenty of times. So, so I, uh, I take it as a compliment. I definitely came into sales organically. I, I have two like kind of, kind of wild stories that have been told to me that I, I don't really even remember, but when I was like five years old, kindergarten age, I sold my tricycle to my kindergarten teacher. You know, <laughs> and the, and the, it's kind of crazy, right? But the, the story went, I was upset that there weren't enough tricycles. So I, I correlated in my brain that they needed more tricycles. I brought my tricycle in and, and sold it for $14 to the teacher. <laughs> the, the teacher got in trouble because it was kind of like, well, why are you buying a, a, why are you buying something from your student? And for me, it would just seem normal. In, in high school, I had, had my parents in a tax implication because I had sold so many vehicles like motorcycles, cars, ATVs in high school that they were trying to request us to be a car dealer, you know, because it, you know, it, it was just... It's just what I did, you know. So it comes comes organically, and I, you know, I've sold a lot of cars in my life. Also, as my side um, weekend hobby, but I never think about it as like that cheesy car salesman kind of stuff. It's like for me, I'm always trying to connect people with opportunities, and sometimes it's product, sometimes it's recommending people for jobs. Like I get a lot of energy from like watching people progress. So. Yeah, I think I think that's the troublemaker piece. I don't think it's I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad thing. There's one consistent phrase I've heard, and I haven't heard you say it yet, so I'll just see if it fits. Do you think you're stubborn? Uh, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, it's really it's really good. It's like um I take stubborn and and maybe dissect it into passionate. You know, there's there's a lot of things that I really like about change. You know, Bob Hurley, one of my favorite founders, used to say change is good, you know, and that was that was his mantra to constantly be evolving. And I've I've adopted that. I love change, but I I'm stubborn when it comes to values. You know, if if it's about um doing things because it's easy, I might be I might be that troublemaker or that stubborn person in the room that's not that's not willing to give up on the values. But I don't think I'm stubborn in a in a way that lacks progression because man, I I love hiring people fresh out of school. I love bringing people from other industries into the business because I really think when someone's new, it's really when they when they have their freshest eyes on the business and they bring a tremendous amount of value. Because if you're if you're just doing things the way they've always been done, you're not unlocking the the business's potential. Andy Lots from Nixon has another great quote. It's like, you know, maybe not his, but one that he, he used frequently is like, what got us here will never get us there. You know? And that's, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. If you were stubborn, you wouldn't like that. But for me, it's liberating. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that up on my wall. I've never heard that. It's brilliant. Well, Brian, I think we're there. I think I've gotten a lot of great stuff from your experience. You, you nailed it. I love the subject matter of being a troublemaker. You know, the, the idea of going in and disrupting the business, modernizing the business is a worthy topic. And, and I just really appreciate you taking the time. And, and um, I'm looking forward to working with my new friends, uh, uh, the Cormac brothers at Herschel Supply, because I think we're going to do great things. I'm certain you will. 
from everything you've told me about them and, and knowing you now, I'm certain you will. To learn more about Herschel Supply, go to herschelsupply.com. That's H-E-R-S-C-H-E-L supply.com. From there, you can keep your eye on Brian White and the Herschel Supply team as they stir up some serious trouble in the fashion industry. Brian, thank you again. This is one of the great ones. Appreciate it, Steve. This has been a Trouble Group podcast. Learn more about us at troublegroup.com. If you're a troublemaker and want to be on the podcast, email steve at troublegroup.com.